Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. It's Monday night, everybody. It's actually a Monday night doubleheader looking at the schedule. BetOnline is ready for all of your props, odds, parlays, and bets for Monday night football. Use the promo code BLEAV50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0, when you sign up to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It's NFL Monday on a beautiful Monday, September 19th, according to my count. Might not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in. However, and whenever it may be that you are listening, new music for the NFL Mondays. I'll kind of like mix this in to spice it up every now and again with our NFL Monday podcasts. We've got a fun show coming at you today. We are going to cover as many of these games as I find important, and there's a lot of them that I found fun and entertaining. So we'll at least touch on like every game except for one for sure. I guess I'll say this off the bat. Trey Lance, we're going to put it to the side. We'll come back to it another day for a full-fledged podcast. That's obviously a big story that's going to be hard to dissect within uh, five minutes. Obviously, when we were talking about Dak Prescott's injury in 2020, which is the closest precedent I can think of to uh, an injury like what we saw with Trey Lance, where he fractures his ankle, has to be air-casted out, and uh, he's going to be done for the season for the 49ers, which you know, makes it so that Trey Lance is now looking like the cryptocurrency of NFL quarterbacks, where Trey Lance has only played in like four games over the past four years. And so it's like, it always goes up in value, but we'll never actually get to see the value turn into meaningful results because it only exists within the cloud. And so obviously Trey Lance's injury is a bigger picture story. So we're going to put that aside. Maybe we'll bring a guest on. We'll talk to Juju or we'll talk to Gage Bridgeford. We'll bring someone on to talk about the 49er injury on a full-scale podcast because uh, when Dak Prescott's injury happened, we did it over a full NFL Monday. We dedicated an entire NFL Monday to Dak Prescott's injury, and there's a bunch of stuff that's interesting today. So every game except Seahawks and 49ers, I think, well, there's a couple that we won't touch on. Some of them will just acknowledge that they exist, but we're going to touch on most of the games here on this NFL Monday Let's get it going.
Y'all, the Miami Dolphins are fucking awesome. Y'all, I, I, okay, I can genuinely not believe that that Miami and Baltimore game happened because, like, for some reason, when I do podcasts with Juju Talk Sports over on the Slump Buster, Miami Dolphin videos pop off, and I listen to the Dan Lebitard show a lot. I have been hearing so much Miami Dolphins content involuntarily over the past 12 months. And the reason Miami is super interesting is, one, Tom Brady and Sean Payton tried to maneuver their way to Miami in partnership with Stephen Ross that would have led to Sean Payton getting a $25 million a year contract, Tom Brady being president and possibly quarterback of the Dolphins that got blown up by a racial discrimination lawsuit combined with the racial discrimination lawsuit itself with the Miami Dolphins tampering punishments trading out of the number three spot in the draft having to uh the, the the Dolphins just the idea of Tua bringing hope and expectation to Miami trading for Tyreek Hill people thinking Mike McDonald is a great coach who's going to change the scheme up which maybe he will the Dolphins also wanted to hire Brian Dayball over him and wanted to hire Sean Payton. So this is plan C quarterback with a plan C head coach that everyone wants to believe in hope and fun for the Miami Dolphins because they got a bunch of speed guys and we all assume that it's probably not going to work out the way we thought it would work out. And then it worked out exactly how everyone hoped and dreamed it would work out for the Miami Dolphins because the Miami Dolphins... In the fourth quarter against the Baltimore Ravens, everything was going exactly the way that I would outline the Miami Dolphins, which is a team that's good enough to beat the Patriots with 20 points, low-scoring game, Tua has to game-manage their way to a victory, Tyreek Hill's going to have 90 yards, and that's about it. Not a big, productive day. And then they go into Baltimore... And Miami plays a team that I think is legitimately one of the five best teams in the NFL, if not one of the three best teams in the NFL. Like, Baltimore is really, really good. On paper, Baltimore is a really strong team. And obviously, Lamar Jackson carries a lot of that weight. But the secondary brings back all those pieces that everyone was clamoring for in 2020 and 2021. They added Marcus Williams. They added Kyle Hamilton. So now you've got awesome corners awesome safeties, ability to rush the passer, which was not great against the Dolphins, but under normal circumstances, an okay ability to rush the passer. Baltimore was even better than I thought at the start of the year because they're getting all these running backs healthy. And then in two weeks, Devin Duvernay is a legitimate wide receiver one. Rashad Bateman is a legitimate first round pick who's a wide receiver two, basically just sliding into the role Hollywood Brown has and executing at a really high level they're running Mark Andrews from under center as their true number one like Baltimore looked even better than I had thought in the preseason and I said from the very beginning Baltimore is going to win the AFC North Baltimore is is not quite as good as the Chiefs and the the Bills they're right behind those teams they're right there with the Chargers a couple good things break their way and they could be going to the AFC championship game if matchups work out if a crazy play or a 14-point swing happens in a playoff game, Baltimore is as good as these teams. And Baltimore was up 35-14 to against the Dolphins. By the way, a 35-14 to that shouldn't have been 35-14 to because early in the game, Baltimore ran, and I want to make sure I have this exactly correct because I wrote it down in my notes. Baltimore ran a 17-play 
75-yard drive that went 11 minutes, and they got a touchdown that would have made it 14-0. to After review, it got called back down at the one-yard line. Baltimore doesn't score. Miami goes 99 yards and scores a touchdown. So a 14-point swing makes it 7-7 to in the first place. And after being 7-7, to Baltimore outscores Miami 28-7 to in the middle of the game. So there's a non-zero chance in an alternate universe where Baltimore's up 42-0 against Miami. If they're, they're a half an inch away at the beginning of the game from being up either 42-0 or 42-7 against the, or say 42-14 in this circumstance, because the Dolphins did score a touchdown after the fact. So it's either 42-7 or 42-14. They're either up 28 or 35 in this alternate universe where they're able to score from one yard out. The same alternate universe, presumably, where they don't go 0 for 2 on fourth and half a yard against the Titans in the 2019 playoffs, which doesn't put them down 14-0, and then Derrick Henry just runs the ball out on them, and they lose when they were the number one seed and Lamar Jackson won unanimous MVP. I'm not salty about that at all. Just that the Ravens were unbeatable that year. So already, because of a half-yard difference, Baltimore's only up 21 points. It's 35-14 with 12.30 to go in the fourth quarter. And by the time we get to 5 minutes and 19 seconds, so we're talking 7 minutes and 10 seconds. In 7 minutes and 10 seconds, the Miami Dolphins scored 3 touchdowns on offense. They scored three goddamn touchdowns on offense. One of them was like River Craycraft scoring a touchdown in the red zones. Like, oh, look how cute that is. River Craycraft got a touchdown with 12 minutes to go. They're only down 14 against Baltimore. And then like 20 minutes later, it's like Tyreek Hill, long touchdown. Jalen Waddle, long touchdown, 35-35. And it's like in seven minutes... Every single hope, dream, aspiration of the Miami Dolphins offense just comes true just like that. It was amazing to watch, too. It, I mean, the, okay, so the first one, he throws it to River Craycraft. Okay, Baltimore punts, Miami gets the ball. Miami throws a 47-yard touchdown from Tua to Tyreek Hill, where Tua underthrows Tyreek Hill by six yards. The difference was Tyreek Hill was so wide open that Tua only had to underthrow him six yards. If he underthrew him nine yards, maybe the safety knocks the ball down. Instead, he throws it six yards underthrown. Tyreek makes the catch at the two and falls back into the end zone. But Tyreek just beat his man deep. And Tua just barely got the ball 40, 50 yards down the field. Whereas, like, Josh Allen farts the ball 75 yards down the field. And so I'm coming out of that like, okay, great play. Tyreek Hill scored. Yay, fantasy points. I get good fantasy numbers from Tyreek Hill. You know, I don't... I was thinking in the moment, okay, Tua fans are going to look at that touchdown pass and say... uh, And use that as evidence of, like, see, Tua can throw the deep ball. Look at this 50-yard touchdown to Tyreek Hill when it was a bad throw by Tua... And only because Tyreek Hill was so far, I mean, not only, like 85% because Tyreek Hill was so far back in the secondary, did that end up being a touchdown instead of losing seven points. And that's like the minimal difference between like, why does Miami not have a top 
two offense instead of a top 10 offense this year. That minimal difference is, is going to be because on one out of every four of those or one out of every three of those plays, Tua is going to underthrow it and it's going to reduce seven points off the board. Not that they can't score seven later. It just makes it that the seven points that would be guaranteed with a different quarterback aren't guaranteed with Tua because that underthrown touchdown pass by six yards is underthrown by nine yards when Tyreek Hill only has eight yards of separation and that one doesn't go for a touchdown, whereas that one, Tua makes a mistake with the pass and it still ends up being a touchdown. So, you know, no harm, no foul. And that made it 35-28. And then the Dolphins get the ball right back and then Tua throws another 50-yard touchdown to Tyreek Hill, which was one that's like mid-stride, hit him deep down the left side, touchdown, like Tyreek Hill throwing up deuces type of touchdown. Like that's one that's just like, oh my God, what an amazing pass by Tua. Because that's one where if he underthrows it, either it's going to fall incomplete because Tyreek Hill's not prepared for it to be underthrown, or Baltimore is very clearly going to catch him in the secondary. And Tua hits him mid-stride, hits Tyreek Hill, 55-yard touchdown, throw up the deuces. Dolphins just scored three touchdowns in seven and a half minutes. What the fuck is happening right now? And this is happening. So in this moment, Tua Tungavailoa has put five touchdowns up on the game passing and like 400 yards. The Dolphins just scored three touchdowns in seven minutes. It's a breakdown of the Baltimore Ravens defense and also a credit to like the Miami Dolphins may be the fastest team in the NFL when you have Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell as the precipice of your offense. And obviously Mike Gusecki had a crazy touchdown too, and he's an amazing third receiver to have. The Miami Dolphins are built on speed, and speed beat the the Baltimore Ravens secondary towards the end of that game. The same way when Baltimore had everyone hurt at the end of last year, Jamar Chase went for like 250 yards against the Baltimore defense. That's what Terry Hill was doing to Baltimore's defense at the end of the game, was just couldn't play prevent defense, run a deep route, run a four verts, run a deep post, like just keep going in desperation mode and the Dolphins were able to connect on it because of that speed at the receiver position beyond like the Ravens choking or Tua playing great or Mike McDaniel's schemes or whatever were the the conversations the biggest take all of those are, are playing factors the biggest takeaway for me is the speed of the Dolphins receivers Beyond, Because obviously we talked about Tua underthrew one of them and then hit Tyreek Hill perfectly in stride for a touchdown that a great quarterback makes. And one of them was, you know, he got bailed out because Tyreek Hill had so much separation against the defense. And one of the Jalen Waddle plays the week before, Tua just had to throw it into an accurate zone. And against the Patriots, Jalen Waddle ran like 50 yards after the catch for a touchdown. Like those are the plays that speed kills for the Miami Dolphins. 
end is the way that their offense puts up the ridiculously high efficiency numbers that they put up in this game. Obviously, it's high efficiency because they had six passing touchdowns. But the Dolphins, even when they were being stopped by Baltimore, were able to run clock, move the ball up the field. Their, Their running game is still shit. And it doesn't matter because they have such an incredible skill set of receivers. Obviously, the speediest receivers in the NFL, plus Gasecki being an awesome number three. And all of those passing options were being used, whether it was Tua getting the ball deep on the Tyree Hill touchdown, Tua missing a couple plays here and there. Because obviously, it wasn't perfect. It was just an amazing desperation comeback because of the speed guys. Speed guys carry them at the end. Gasecki has the huge play earlier in the game. The reason they were down so much in the first place is because they couldn't run the football. There was no respect for the Dolphins running game. And Lamar Jackson was just cooking the shit out of their defense. Like Tua had a, had missteps early in the game. They couldn't run the football. It led to a whole bunch of punts for Miami. And of course, there was the one wacky interception that wasn't really Tua's fault other than he didn't put enough zip on the ball because Tua's arm is not very strong. That's one that's like, hey, Tannehill's will make those plays. Matt Ryan, who's a pretty good quarterback, will mess up on that play sometimes because his arm's not as strong as it used to be. Tua could barely throw the ball 50 yards down the field on that deep touchdown. I know it sounds like I'm I'm pushing back on Tua, like having the game of his life, but like there were moments that's like, why was Miami down so much? That was why. And then he hit Tyreek Hill perfectly in stride. And then Baltimore does the Baltimore thing where they go right down the field. Justin Tucker makes a field goal. Like the thing that great offenses do, they just go right down the field. Baltimore kicks a go-ahead field goal like they were running a two-minute drill, except there was still five minutes on the clock. So there's still two minutes for Miami to run a two-minute drill. And Miami does the thing that all the great offenses do, which is up, you left him too much time, right down the field. Tyreek Hill, boom. Gasecki, boom. Jalen Waddle catch, Jalen Waddle catch. End zone touchdown, Jalen Waddle. Miami Dolphins, like seven plays, minute and 45 seconds, right down the field, touchdown, win the game. Not, I mean, because they possessed the ball last. I know Baltimore had like a Hail Mary pass, but like Miami wins the game the same way Kansas City wins the game in the playoffs last year against Buffalo, which is, hey, they just got to possess the ball last. Same reason that the Rams beat the Bucks last year in the playoffs when they gagged all over themselves and threw back a 35-point lead. I mean, if you count Cam Akers fumbling at the goal line being a near-certified touchdown, 35 points thrown back to the Bucks. It's just because the Rams got to possess the ball last. Dolphins got to possess the ball last, 12 seconds to play, touchdown Jalen Waddle. Dolphins win, chaos, fun, yay, yelling. We just had the greatest comeback. I mean, we thought the greatest comeback of the last 15 years in the NFL, but in reality, it wasn't even the best comeback of the weekend because you had the, the Jets and the Cardinals coming up after that, and all of it was just ridiculous. Lamar Jackson dominated that game dominated that game and he didn't get to see the ball at the end of the game except for when after it was tied and they had to punt a couple times so I shouldn't say he never touched the ball they had to punt three and outs to Miami a couple times doesn't get to see the ball and when he does takes him right down the field and kicks a game-winning field goal against a really good Miami Dolphins defense goes right down the field kicks a field goal And the reason they lose is because they don't get to touch the ball last. Lamar Jackson, somehow, in a game where Lamar Jackson had 318 yards, three touchdowns, completed 
75% of his passes. He had a worse game than Tua. I'm sorry. Yeah, he had a worse game than Tua. The only reason Tua's passing passer rating is going to be lower is because Tua had two interceptions early in the game and was looking like a game manager up until the very end. And it was incredible to watch. It was big play offense. It was Ravens moving the ball down the field. It was a kickoff return for touchdown. It was a 75-yard Rashad Bateman touchdown. Lamar broke a 60, uh, I think it was a 70-yard touchdown run. Tyreek Hill had two 50-plus-yard touchdowns. That was the most fun football game of the year. It felt like those playoff games last year between the Bills and the Chiefs. It felt like that playoff game last year between the Rams and the Bucks. It was chaos, it was fun, and it was like 70-yard. It's the thing that we always complain about in college football, where like college football games are awesome at the end. There was one moment that happened this weekend. Purdue and Syracuse, they played a it was a boring college football weekend, but Purdue and Syracuse had this amazing game and I saved the meme for it because it went a little bit viral, which was basically to start the game, it was field goal, field goal, field goal, field goal. Touchdown Syracuse, end of third quarter. Four field goals and a touchdown. And then fourth quarter, six touchdowns, two-point conversions, a game winner. That Purdue-Syracuse game was the most fun I, I, most fun college football game I saw all weekend. And I only watched the last six minutes of the game. And in the last six minutes, there were five touchdowns. That's basically what the Miami-Baltimore game was for the entire game. For the th- first three quarters, it was Baltimore looking like an offense that put up 59 points against a shitty Dolphins team in 2019. They scored 35 points in the first three quarters, and they got stopped at the goal line on a fourth down. Baltimore should have had 42 points at the end of three quarters, and that game should have had no chance for Miami to come back. And again, call it Baltimore's defense throwing up on themselves, calling it Mike McDa- call it Mike McDaniel's play calling, call it Tua's ability to throw the ball down the field that Tua Anon's going to get excited about, which Tua Anon now I guess extends to Mike McDaniel because Mike McDaniel's job is connected to Tua's job, and so they like Mike McDaniel and want him to keep his job. But if they can get Sean Payton next year, they'll toss Mike McDaniel to the side. But for now, they like Mike McDaniel because it's the best option they have. Like Tua Anon got so hyped about that part and call it all of those things at the same time it was also the speed of the Miami Dolphins receivers and I think that's more important than the other parts but same time Baltimore ends up losing that game when they had no business losing that game Lamar Jackson had the highest passer rating of any quarterback all season and he lost because of just how fun and chaotic that football game was And the Miami Dolphins should walk out of that with, like, amazing, amazing confidence. And Miami's going to lose the division. Miami, like, macro-level picture, this one game doesn't change the outcome of the Miami Dolphins season. What it helps is tiebreakers at the end of the year, although tiebreakers are chaotic and stupid, and sometimes the Saints miss the playoffs and the Eagles get in instead, because tiebreakers can be wrong. What it helps Miami for is when they're in that mix of teams that have eight, nine wins, they get that bonus point of, hey, we just had a game that we had no business winning on a weekend where the Raiders lost a game they should have won in their back pocket and the Browns lost a game that hadn't happened like that in 20 years 
we get to stuff that win in our back pocket and walk out feeling great about our chances going into the wild card because our offense has never put up a game like that. In my entire lifetime, the Miami Dolphins have never put up a game in which they scored six touchdowns. In my memorable football watching lifetime, I don't know the exact date on it, but I think it was like early 2000s with Ricky Williams was the last time the Dolphins scored six touchdowns in a game. And they put up six touchdowns. They The Dolphins barely ever put up four touchdowns in a game. They put up four touchdowns in like 10 minutes of football action. That was the most fun game of the weekend. And Dolphins fans and Dolphins like analyzing football, the Dolphins did something that genuinely surprised all of us. Was it chaotic? Was it fun? Yes. But some teams are incapable of doing what the Dolphins did. This is just like the most validating of validations if you're following Dolphins talk, which like I said off the top, I've been watching way too much Dan Levitard and Dolphins videos always pop up on the Slump Buster channel. So Dolphins fans can be a bit over the top. And this is still the most validating game if you play single game results like in terms of the process and that offense this has to be the most validating result ever for the Miami Dolphins and we all get to win because regardless of like but wanting to it to succeed or wanting Lamar Jackson to succeed like that was so much fun that game was incredible And I hope that you may have learned something in the analysis other than me just saying, oh my God, that was the most fun in the world. And it's, it it was just great. I hope you learned something from these 20 minutes beyond just me celebrating how great that game was and how like all of us are genuinely shocked by the Miami Dolphins. Even the most optimistic of optimistic Dolphins fans could not believe that this was something that was possible. Let's move over to the other game that came up this weekend. By the way, just to cap off the Dolphins segment real quick, uh, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell combined for 361 yards on 22 catches and had four touchdowns. And it is the most of any wide receiver duo in, I believe, modern NFL history. Forgot to throw that in the mix there. I'm sure you probably saw that stat roaming around on Twitter, but still just wanted to put that out there. Okay, let's talk about the other ridiculous game, which was the Raiders and the Cardinals. 
who Las Vegas, that one's gotta burn. Because, like, the fact that Las Vegas is walking out of the start of this season with a worse record than Denver, I know records don't matter early in the season. Like, Denver was 3-0 and last year. Carolina was 3-0 and last year. The, the goddamn New York Giants are 2-0, and and we're, I'm just not going to acknowledge that that's a thing because they're going to finish 5-11 and or 6-11 and or whatever it is with the 17-game season. They're going to finish with five or six wins. And I said in week six of last year that Daniel Jones uh, should no longer be quarterbacking the New York Giants or starting in any, on any NFL team, and I still feel validated all of these months later. This is just an inevitable, boring process that the New York Giants are going through. Anyways, Vegas got to be feeling rough after that one, because that was a game that they had locked up for the win. I was watching this game in full just because I was working the game and, and it was on the t- the local Sacramento broadcast. And so I was watching the Raiders and Cardinals game. And at the start of the game, the Raiders were up 20-0 to zero at halftime. And the Arizona Cardinals had the, at one point, I think it was like 16 minutes to 6 minutes in time of possession, which was like the largest time of possession gap for the entire season from any team. Kyler Murray had only thrown like five passes in the entire game. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals had lost James Conner to injury at that point. Their defense couldn't stop Mac Hollins, although they held Devontae Adams unless he had a catch late in the game. Devontae Adams had his lowest catches and yards total. Let's see. Devontae Adams finished with two catches for 12 yards. That is Devontae Adams' lowest catch and yards total since September of 2017 which is crazy considering the Cardinals have the worst cornerback room in the NFL and their solution was to drop safeties and linebackers and double team Devontae Adams the whole way, which left Mac Hollins wide open. And the Raiders basically game plan this at the start of the week. They're like, okay, we know the Cardinals are going to double team Devontae Adams. And if they don't, you know, power to us, we're just going to cook with Devontae Adams. But they basically schemed up the entire way. Mac Hollins, Hunter Renfro. Hunter Renfro, Mac Hollins, they schemed that up from the very beginning of the game. It was so clear that they're like, if the Cardinals run this, we throw to these guys. We run plays that are designed for Mac Hollins, who's their fourth receiver, and with Darren Waller makes them their fifth receiver, and we scheme up plays for Hunter Renfro. And they basically said from the very beginning, that's how we're going to run the offense. And the Cardinals kept playing that game because they were going to defend Devontae Adams in the first place. And the Raiders' offense was incredibly predictable. It's just the Cardinals couldn't do shit to stop them. And the Raiders, at the start of the game... I mean, Devontae Adams had the touchdown early on, but Josh Jacobs ran the ball 10 times within the first, I I believe, 20 plays of the game. They ran the ball to Josh Jacobs... 10 of the first 20 plays. And at halftime, it was 240 to 100 yards in favor of the Las Vegas Raiders. And they had that game in their back pocket until the Arizona Cardinals come out in the second half, immediately score a touchdown. And then the Raiders have to, the Raiders defense has to stay on the field for so long. And the game just turns on its head after that fact where the Raiders dominate time of possession in the first half again 16 to 6 was the largest differential of yards i'm sorry largest time of possession differential up to that point and their yards gained 
versus the Cardinals was, I don't know the exact number on that one. I did look up time of possession difference to start this this season. And 16-6 to at one point, I know the Cardinals had a punt and the, the drive that led to the Kyler interception right before half, but they had the largest time of possession gap up to that point. And Arizona got blanked in the first half. They got blanked. And then they came right out at the end, touchdown right out the gate, Raiders couldn't move the ball. They punt back to Arizona. And then when the fourth quarter starts, Arizona holds the ball the entire game. Remember I said during that first uh, quarter and a half that there was this large time of possession gap and Kyler Murray threw only five passes? Kyler Murray ended the game with 49 pass attempts. Sometime in between the middle of the second quarter and the end of overtime, Kyler Murray threw the football 44 times. Part of that was the Cardinals were coming from behind and, you know, doubling down. James Conner got hurt. So, like, Eno Benjamin, who I do the Arizona Cardinals podcast with Walter Mitchell, and Eno Benjamin was going to get cut. Like, they ended up passing on Jonathan Ward and Cavante Ingram, who are their, like, backup running backs, and Ingram was a draft pick this year. It seemed clear that Eno Benjamin was going to get cut coming out of camp. And they ended up being the number three, and Daryl Williams ended up not getting snaps in the first game, so all of a sudden, Eno Benjamin was the number two. And I couldn't believe that that was the case, because Eno Benjamin was the Cardinals' leading rusher in week one. And Eno Benjamin now is the Cardinals' number one because James Conner's getting hurt. And so they basically abandon the, the run altogether and just start picking apart the Raiders' corners, which are not very good. And the Cardinals just go, like, pass to, I, I believe A.J. Green led the, the drive towards the end, but he only had a few catches in the game. It's like Zach Ertz, middle-of-the-field catch. Greg Dortch, middle-of-the-field catch. Kyler Murray, run the football. Kyler Murray, quick pass to Eno Benjamin. Like, they just move the ball so methodically down the field, and the Raiders got gassed on defense. And the Cardinals, I mean, gosh, the, the one play... The two-point conversion after the touchdown for Arizona, which was Daryl Williams just like pounding the ball in at the very end, but that one two-point conversion, you've seen the highlight of it where it was 21 seconds in the pocket. Kyler scrambles backwards, sits in the pocket, yells at people to move around, and it's a short field, and the Cardinals are down to their like fifth-string receivers. And he's just, like, because they don't have Max Williams, they don't have Rondale Moore, they don't have DeAndre Hopkins. That's three of their four best targets. So you're looking at like Greg Dortch as their number one receiver at this point. I know Hollywood Brown is there, but like Hollywood Brown is not playing very well up to this point. I think Hollywood Brown actually had, uh, I saw the numbers right on this. He had the fewest catches in the first two games of a season in his entire career. That goes back to 2019 in Baltimore, 2020, 2021. This is fourth year. He had the fewest catches in the first two games of a season during his career. I think he had 10 catches at the end of the game. And back to that play, like Kyler Murray's yelling at people, and then he just rolls to the left, scrambles to the end zone, touchdown, or sorry, two-point conversion, 23-15, to 15, and the Raiders' defense is gassed. They are gassed at this point. And they were already tired before then because they've been on the field for two consecutive possessions, But then Kyler Murray made them run around for 20 consecutive seconds chasing him around on a two-point conversion. 
And then the Raiders basically go, I mean, they get a first down on the first play, but then after that, they basically go three and out in two and a half minutes. And so now with five minutes left to play, Arizona's getting the football back and they can't run the football because their their team is bad and their, you know, their running game is bad and the clock is up against them. But they just go, Zach Ertz, Greg Dortch, AJ Green, outplay, outplay, design run to Kyler Murray, Daryl Williams run. They just slowly move the ball down the field. And on that last drive, I want to make sure I have this one correct. So after the Kyler Murray wild touchdown play, the Raiders run four plays, give it back to Arizona with five minutes left to play. It's actually a short punt too. They messed that one up. It was Kyler to AJ Green. Kyler to AJ Green. Kyler to Zach Ertz. Short play. Kyler Murray, incomplete pass. Daryl Williams, nine-yard carry. Daryl Williams, first down. Or sorry, no, they got the fourth down there. But they're basically just like, We'll take our time. We've got five minutes. We need to go 75 yards. The confidence of being able to do that is based on the fact that the Cardinals have a, a pretty good offense. And at some point, it, it might not be this week, but at some point we'll do a full-scale podcast talking about how the teams with very good quarterbacks that are now getting paid elite quarterback money, you, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, the guys who aren't as good as Mahomes, Herbert, and Josh Allen, but they're players who we know are under contract for years and years and they're under contracts at high dollar values and so you're trying to find value I thought that was interesting and and we'll talk more about that later but the Cardinals have a very good offense top 10 in rushing top 10 in passing last year they finished seventh according to DVOA numbers like very good offense against a not great Raiders defense like the Raiders have Max Crosby who's really good and other than that name another player on the Raiders defense who's like making a significant impact like, they have Cleland Furl, they have Jonathan Abram, not a whole lot making an impact for the Raiders' defense. Jonathan Hankins was pretty good in this game. But the Raiders' strength is their offense, and the reason they won't make the playoffs is their defense. And with the defense gassed, and with the Cardinals outmatching them, despite the fact they don't have DeAndre Hopkins and Rondale Moore, like I was saying, just slowly down the field. Fourth and one, Kyler rushes for a first down. Then it's Kyler Murray completion to Zach Ertz. And the two-minute warning, they only ran, I'm trying to get this right, one, two, three, four, five, six plays in three minutes. The Cardinals are moving real slow and just trickling down the field to make sure they possess the ball last. And they have the confidence that they're going to be able to do this, which is a lot Kyler Murray. Like, Kyler Murray's not going to make a mistake. We can move the ball slowly against a defense that's gassed, and that's a great mid-game adjustment. That's a great job by the offense. I mean, I know Cliff Kingsbury's calling the plays, but like the offensive players, that's a great job to adjust, slow the tempo down, the Raiders are gassed, the defense, it's not like gassed like they're huffing and puffing and catching for breath, like they need 15 minutes to stand on the sidelines with their hands on their heads and catch their breath, and the Raiders don't get that, and so it's five-yard play to Kyler Murray. It's three-yard play to Eno Benjamin on a pass. It's short play to Zach Ertz. Zach Ertz has three catches. A.J. Green has two catches, none of them longer than 10 yards, and it's just little by little down the field. And then score the touchdown on the last play, 
And I mean, also they benefited from a penalty, of course, but I think Kyler kind of knew when he was throwing the ball away that they had a penalty. So Raiders left him in the game with penalties too. And the touchdown on the last play, which was again, I mean, there was also one that got taken away because of a holding call, but Kyler Murray had another play where he's scrambling 14 seconds, 14 seconds in the backfield because Kyler Murray's amazing at evading pressure, buying time. The Raiders defense is gassed, but that doesn't mean Kyler Murray's also hasn't been on the field for a long time. Kyler Murray's just that amazing of an athlete. And Kyler Murray spends 20 seconds in the backfield, 14 seconds in the backfield, buying time the same way we talked about on Friday's podcast with Patrick Mahomes, buys time, buys time, buys time, and then rushes for the go-ahead touchdown. And then the two-point conversion, the the Cardinals did everything they could to fuck this one up, but the Cardinals, little by little... They make the mistakes that sometimes cost teams games when the margins are Baltimore a half a yard from winning against Miami, when the margins in the the Super Bowl for the Bengals are half an inch, when the 49ers miss the playoffs if Jalen Ramsey is like half an inch higher on tipping a pass, when the margins are that thin, the Cardinals did the things that would lose the game and the Raiders did the things on defense to bail them out and they kind of like neutralized each other into a chaotic final five-minute drive for the Cardinals. And then Kyler Murray hits, I mean, there's a slow motion video of this. The two-point conversion from Kyler Murray is the best, is the reason that Kyler Murray is making uh, 250, I mean, 230 with 160 million guaranteed. The reason he's getting that much money is because Kyler Murray... The thing I say all the time is the reason Kyler Murray is getting that money is because it's the same reason Trevor Lawrence will get that money tomorrow if he signs a new contract, is that Kyler Murray can roll to his left for 14 seconds and throw a pass off his back foot that ends up within a five-inch window that he has to hit. And if you watch this two-point conversion with the slow-mo version on it, Kyler Murray throws a pass that, like, as close as you can get tips off the the middle finger of the Raiders defender. Like as close as you can get to like just licking the pigskin with his middle finger. And it just goes right past his hand through two, air, through two Raiders defenders and hits A.J. Green in the back of the end zone. And A.J. Green makes the catch, which is not always a guarantee. AJ Green makes the catch for the two point conversion to send it to overtime. And then on uh, in overtime, the Cardinals win the toss. So now the Raiders defense is fucking gassed again. And Kyler Murray throws a back shoulder pass to Hollywood Brown on fourth down that Hollywood Brown gets rocked and drops the pass, which tough break just for Hollywood Brown. Like they, the Raiders had a bunch of plays. that was like knock the ball free on an AJ Green touchdown. Uh, that play, Hollywood Brown gets a beautiful back shoulder pass, and the because he can't see the defender, he gets rocked out of bounds and loses the football, and then the Raiders get the ball at the end, and then of course you have the last play of the game, which is Hunter Renfro fumbles, Byron Murphy scoops it up, scores a touchdown, almost threw the ball away, like did the thing where you throw it away at the one yard line. They couldn't confirm at the end that he did, but it was right at the goal line that he threw the ball away. 
And I was listening to the game on radio for the Raiders, and they were making it seem like they were going to call it back because Byron Murphy for the Cardinals threw the ball before the game was over or before he crossed the goal line, which would have been a touchdown. But they couldn't confirm it on the field. And so Arizona ends up winning on that crazy play. But right before that, Kyler Murray had three amazing, amazing plays. And the one where he... The drive, I think, is more interesting. Obviously, the last play, you can find the video of the slow motion, like putting the ball within a tiny window. And you can watch the Hollywood Brown play over again. I know it was incomplete, but it should have been a completion that set the Cardinals up for a game winner. And I know they won the game anyways, but like should have set them up for first and goal if he doesn't get rocked and there's nothing he can do because it's a blindside hit from a safety, which it's hard to hold on to a football when you can't see the safety coming. And those plays were impeccable by Kyler Murray, and it was impeccable to watch, and it was crazy to watch Arizona come back in that game. And again, just like I said with the Miami game, it was such a joy to watch Kyler Murray run those plays. And they ran a five-minute drill. Like, they took a two-minute drill and basically nuked away three minutes with the confidence that they could get into the end zone, or at the very least, they could prevent the Raiders from holding the ball at the very end. Intentional or not intentional? Again, like I said, the Cardinals had plays that threw the game away, and the Raiders let them back into it with a holding call on a sack and uh, a fourth down penalty where the Cardinals didn't convert, but also Kyler Murray kind of knew that there was a holding call on the Raiders, so the play didn't really matter. The Raiders made the mistakes to let them back in, but the Cardinals made the mistakes that in the smallest of margins do lose the game. But if you take those and kind of call them neutral, man, it was fun to watch Kyler Murray play at the end of that game. And it was fun to watch Arizona and the Dolphins, by at large, in desperation, running back at the end of that game. It was super duper fun to watch. Bears still suck. The Bears still suck. It's that time of year, everybody. For some reason, the NFL all... I mean, I know why, because it does good ratings in major metro areas, but every year the Chicago Bears play the Green Bay Packers on Sunday night football, and every year the Green Bay Packers whoop the shit out of the Chicago Bears, and so I always make a video of the highlights of that game set to that incredible song that I can't believe exists and I love so much. And this was the annual tradition of the Green Bay Packers beating the shit out of the Chicago Bears on Sunday Night Football. Happens every year. I make a video about it every year. The video is available on my Twitter sometime around when this is coming out. There's a link in the description to this episode if you want to watch the uh, highlights of the Bears and Packers game set to that song. What also that that, uh, game served the purpose of this week is something I like to call Market Correction Week. 
This was a market correction week, everybody. What does that mean? I'll explain it. Packers were 0-1, Bears were 1-0. Market correction, both teams are now 1-1. That is a market correction game. Uh, We can go down the list to the Patriots and Steelers. Patriots started the season 0-1, Steelers started the the season 1-0. It would be weird if the Steelers were 2-0 despite the fact that they've scored like 17 total points on offense in two games. Would be weird if the Patriots were 0-2 just because they're the Patriots. So market correction. Patriots 1-1, Steelers 1-1. Market correction week, baby. Uh, What else is market correction week? How about the Bucks and Saints? Tampa 2-0, Saints 1-1. Market correction week. Lions and Washington. Washington was 1-0 coming into the week. That's weird, isn't it? Washington's never 1-0. Detroit is 0-1 coming into the week. Now both teams are 1-1 so that both teams can love each other and go 7-10 at the end of the season. Washington will go 7-10, Lions will go 7-10. Part of that is market correction so that they both get to 1-1. Now their records look normal. 49ers beating up on the Seahawks despite losing Trey Lance. Seahawks were 1-0, they might only win one more game the entire season. 49ers were 0-1, now both teams are 1-1. Market correction week. It happened all over the place in the NFL. The one place it didn't happen was the Giants, because the Giants are 2-0 and the Panthers are 0-2. That's just a shit luck market correction week situation. But for all those other games, market correction. Oh, uh, also, um, I mentioned the Lions a second ago. We're going to play the Falcons song in a sec, because I do... Love the fact that the Detroit Lions and the Atlanta Falcons have committed themselves to going back to being stupid as fuck this year. I'm so glad that the Falcons and Lions are going back to being stupid because we used to make the joke for years. We're not doing the um, pick'em this year just because it was hard to keep track of it by the end of the season. So no pick'em this year, but the Falcons and Lions last year or sorry the falcons and lions for years and years it was always the case when we did pick them and talked about gambling don't ever bet on the falcons and lions because the falcons and lions games will just be the most chaotic stupid shit in the world it will be the lions scoring 35 points and being up 35 14 and losing it'll be them down 35 14 coming back to tie the game and then both teams punt in overtime somehow uh, the Falcons, for years and years after the Super Bowl, I always said that the Falcons, basically post-Super Bowl, in the four years after the Super Bowl, the Falcons existed to score 30 points in a game, allow 30 points in a game, both teams are going to have the ball at the end of the game in a, with both teams in the 30s, Matt Ryan's going to have 350 yards, three touchdowns, one interception, and the Falcons will win about half of the games because it's a coin toss and they'll finish eight and eight. And for three years, the Falcons finished 24 and 24. And then they just decided to start tanking the last two years. But even the 2020 team was just the most chaotic Falcons team ever. And last year, the Falcons went away from that. They were bad and boring. And if you're going to be bad, at least be fun. Be chaotic like the Lions were. Be chaotic like the Falcons used to be, and I'm glad that the Falcons and Lions have both committed to going back to being chaotic as fuck. Because the Falcons last week they were down 26 to, or sorry, they were up 26 to 10 against the. They were up 26 to 10 against the Saints and blew that lead in 10 minutes, as the Falcons do a lot. But it's still jarring that they blow 17 points in 10 minutes. 
And then this week, they were down 28-3 against the Rams. Nothing to think of it. It's a bad team against a good team. Rams dominated the Falcons. It was 28-3. Just kind of gave up at that point. And then the Falcons came storming back with three crazy touchdowns and a turnover, and they had a chance to win the game at the end. It's just their pass... In a 31-27 game, their pass got intercepted by Jalen Ramsey instead of being the go-ahead touchdown with a minute left to play, and the Falcons almost came back from 28-3 down. And I'm glad that the Falcons have committed to just being absolutely chaotic this year. They backdoor covered, almost beat the Rams, if not for, you know, Marcus Mariota throwing a very clear intercept. Like, I say almost beat the Rams from where they were. They were down 25 points in the second half. But that pass Mariota threw was just like asking to be intercepted by Jalen Ramsey. But they were within a Jalen Ramsey interception of beating the Rams, which was just chaotic and crazy. And I'm glad the Falcons and Lions are committed to being stupid again. Again, you could have bet on Detroit this week and you would have won. But there was a time where we all thought Washington was going to take the lead at the end of that game. And the Falcons were 10, 13 point, somewhere between 10 and 13 point underdogs. And the Rams were up 25. And the Falcons backdoor covered that shit. Only lost by four. Almost won the game outright. That would have just caused an absolute panic for the Rams in a game that was basically the entire way exactly what you thought Falcons and Rams would be, which is four Rams touchdowns, clearly outplaying the Falcons because the Falcons are going to have a top four pick and the Rams are a top four team. And then the Falcons committed to just being stupid as fuck and charged back while the Cardinals were also charging back and while the red zone was showing way too much of that Bengals-Cowboys game. And it was crazy and fun. And I'm glad the Lions and Falcons are back. So I can say this again this year because both of them went away from this last year. Don't ever bet the Falcons. Don't ever bet the Lions. Harry Douglas, Arthur Blank, Dante Fowler, Michael Vick, Devin Hester Hayden, Hurston Caleb McGarry, Tack McKinley, Deion Sanders, Michael Turner, Grady Jarrett, Austin Hooper, Tevin Coleman, Tony Gonzalez. Warwick Dunn, Brent Grimes, Kyle Pitts, Des Turfont, Left Witch, Julio, Mascot Has Creepy Eyes, Darren Holland, KZ, Maddie won an MVP, AJ Terrell, Duron Harmon, Russell Gage, Vic Beasley, we're the Atlanta Falcons, we're always flying and we keep on trying, we're the Atlanta Falcons, we keep blowing leads but we try to fight it. Steven Jackson, Jalen Mayfield, Dan Quinn, and Shanahan, Jeff, George, Jake, Matthews, Fabian, Moreau, Mike Davis, Ito Smith, Devonta Freeman's Pro Bowl, Jockeys, Rogers, Asante, Samuel, Young Way, Dean Pease, Mike Smith had a winning team, Henry Crockett, Petrino, Calvin Ridley, Jaden Graham, Deion Jones, Tajay Sharp, Daryl is a running back, Chris Lindstrom, D'Angelo Hall, some dude named Zacchaeus, we're the Atlanta Falcons. We're always flying and we keep on trying. We're the Atlanta Falcons. We keep blowing leads, but we try and fight it. Dirty Bird, bring it back. Roddy White and Alex Mack, Alford, Luke McCown, Super Bowl prostitutes, Justin Hardy, Matt Shaw, Atlanta Braves, baseball beat with an onside kick. Dirt Cutter's an idiot. 
Corey Peters, Richie Grant, Chris Chandler, Paul Warlow, Lee Smith, Jay Brown, Super Bowls, a no-go, Sanu, Brooks, Reed, Mike Pinnell, Matt Hennessy, Dwight Freeney, Toy Lolo, don't score that ball, Todd Gurley. We're the Atlanta Falcons. We're always flying and we keep on trying. We're the Atlanta Falcons. We keep blowing leads and we try to fight it. All right, so we record NFL Monday on Sunday night, and we release it at midnight on Monday. So this comes out before any of the shows about football, talk shows, overreaction Mondays, radio shows, NFL lives on ESPN, or whatever you want to call the Monday breakdown of what happened in football this past weekend. So this comes out before all of that. And if I had to suspect, and I think many of you will agree with me, when people talk about the Colts-Jaguars game, it's going to be what's wrong with the Colts. That's going to be the talking point on Monday, is the Colts are now 0-1-1. They had a tie they should have lost against the Texans. They got blanked by the Jaguars. What's wrong with Matt Ryan? They're supposed to win that division, blah, blah, blah. That's going to be the talking point. I want to be the person who zags while other people zig. Did I say that right? Or do I zig while others zag? Anyways, I want to do unique perspective and talk about how awesome Trevor Lawrence looked in this game. And I want to talk about the positives of the Jacksonville Jaguars because there have not been a lot of positives around the Jacksonville Jaguars in the last 15 years. Not a whole lot of positives. Especially last year. Because, you know, they they hired Urban Meyer. And Jacksonville, with stability, looks awesome. And I was having this conversation with my brother this last week, and it was something interesting that I thought about, which was, if you had to make a decision today, would you pay Trevor Lawrence? This is coming off the heels of Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson and thinking about that. And I was like, absolutely. I want Trevor Lawrence as my quarterback for a decade. I will invest in as much money as possible for the, the the possibility of him being a great quarterback. And even if he's a tier three guy, even if his floor is Matt Ryan these last few years for Atlanta, like Matt Ryan every year except the MVP, or he's Matt Stafford where he makes one Pro Bowl in 13 years. I still want to sign up for that. I still want to bet on the talent and bet on the player who's going to be even a tier three quarterback. And we have no idea what Trevor Lawrence is going to be. We have no idea what quarterback Trevor Lawrence is going to look like because last year was such a debacle and you have to buy him a year and the Jaguars are just as poorly run as Detroit. And obviously Matthew Stafford's never been more than a tier three quarterback, just like Derek Carr's never been more than a tier three quarterback. Maybe Trevor Lawrence ends up being a tier three guy. He should also be a starting quarterback in the NFL for a decade. And part of the reason is the game that the Jaguars had on Sunday. And I know they only scored 24 points, but basically the Jacksonville Jaguars ran the ball 35 times in that game. If you count James Robinson, Travis Etienne, Jamal Agnew, who's like a flex, super flex player. Shout out Point Loma High School, Jamal Agnew. Only player in the NFL for my high school. Awesome. Shout out Jamal Agnew. Jamal Agnew... Travis Etienne, James Robinson run the ball 35 times. Trevor Lawrence completes 30 passes, 
I'm sorry, Trevor Lawrence throws 30 passes, completes 25 of them. It's a completion percentage of 83% in the game. Trevor Lawrence's average yards per completion is 9.4, which is about halfway between game manager, which is around 7, and Patrick Mahomes, which is around like 11 to 12 yards per completion. And I say Patrick Mahomes as like just reference for an elite quarterback. So he's threading the needle between game manager and elite quarterback. He's not making huge plays, but he has two touchdown passes, one long touchdown, one short touchdown, average completion of nine yards a play. Managing the game because the Jaguars' defense played incredible and doing it in a way that is, this is what's asked of him, and he can execute. And we've also seen Trevor Lawrence have big-time plays in big-time games. Now, obviously, not a lot last year, but he had a couple of big plays that at least looked good, and last year they were interceptions, and this year he hasn't thrown interceptions yet. He had one in the Washington game, but still, like Trevor Lawrence did exactly what it took once you gave him stability around him, a defense that was holding the Colts to zero points, and even if they had held them to two touchdowns, which would have been a a good game instead of a great game like their defense had, it would have been enough to win the game handily for Jacksonville. Again, a team that was eight-point underdogs against the Colts coming in, they would have won handily in this game. And Trevor Lawrence had an awesome football game. Trevor Lawrence played fantastic. And when you've put the stability of not a great offense, a Doug Peterson offense is stable compared to the worst combo of Daryl Bevel, who should not have had a job and then got three more jobs after he should have never had another coordinator job. Daryl Bevel and Urban Meyer now transitioning into Doug Peterson. It's stability for Jacksonville. And Trevor Lawrence looked really good in a game where the Jaguars were not scheming for Trevor Lawrence to have a big game. And by the way, the running game was not good for Jacksonville. Jacksonville ran the ball 32, sorry, 34 times. They ran the ball 34 times and finished with 86 yards. It's like 2.5 yards a carry. And Trevor Lawrence was great. It's short, inter, short to intermediate throws. It was actually the best performance of any quarterback in the NFL today in terms of uh, this is pro fo- I'm not pro football focus. This is football outsiders on short to intermediate throws. Trevor Lawrence had the best completion percentage and pass rating of any quarterback in the NFL today. And that was all that was asked of him was the stability to be a very good quarterback. And Trevor Lawrence looked great today. And I think Trevor Lawrence is someone that you bet on for 10 years because of just how talented he is. And once you give him stability, look at how Trevor Lawrence can play. 83% completion percentage, 121.5 quarterback rating, which was exactly the same quarterback rating as Lamar Jackson. Look what happens when you give the stability to Trevor Lawrence. He looks like a really stable quarterback and a quarterback that's capable of winning football games and, you know, when the defense is playing great, blanking the Indianapolis Colts and winning by three touchdowns. And even if the defense had played mediocre, as long as Trevor Lawrence is not turning the ball over, Jacksonville can win a bunch of games. And the Jaguars are still in that group of teams that I still say is the worst team in the NFL that isn't actively tanking. And so Jacksonville's going to win six, seven games. I mean, in the AFC South, they might win more. But like on paper, they're a six to seven win team. And we've gone through the AFC. There's so many good teams in the AFC that Jacksonville's going to lose some of these games as the season goes along. They're really stable, and and 
stability is the, this is the first time in two, in really two and a half years if you go back to the last year at Clemson with the pandemic this is the first time since pre-pandemic that Trevor Lawrence has had stability in his football program and he looks fantastic Trevor Lawrence was excellent again like I said best player in the NFL on Sunday in short and intermediate throws it was a great game and so I want to give props to Trevor Lawrence, and that's the analysis that I hope you'll take away from this game. Hey, I ended up actually getting 10 minutes out of it. I, I said it was, uh, I had 15 minutes earlier. I'm glad I got to talk 10 minutes about Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars today. Jaguars were very stable and fun. And one of the like smaller storylines I'll look forward to as the season goes along is, what kind of quarterback is Trevor Lawrence? Because all of the 2021 rookies... Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson. Well, Zach Wilson, I feel like, isn't very good. But Trevor Lawrence, Mac Jones. Mac Jones is a little older, so he might be a fully formed quarterback. But Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, Justin Fields. I'll put Zach Wilson in the group, too. They're all too early to tell. They're too close to call when it comes to those talented players and what type of players they're going to become. And I'm interested to see, as we now get a larger representative sample size of Trevor Lawrence, what kind of quarterback is he going to look like? Is he going to be Matthew Stafford? Is he going to be Dak Prescott? Is he going to be a combination of something that we haven't seen but ends up being a Tier 2 caliber quarterback? I'm interested to see what Trevor Lawrence becomes because last year was a throwaway season for the Jaguars, not only because most rookies on bad teams deserve throwaway seasons, also the fact that the Jaguars hired Urban Meyer and had the most cataclysmic coaching hire of any in the history of the NFL, or at least in the modern history of the NFL. And now that you've given Trevor Lawrence stability for the first time since 2019, let's start to see what he looks like. It'll be a storyline I'm interested to follow because I'm fascinated of what the next 10 years of Trevor Lawrence's career is going to look like, because he's going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL, probably in Jacksonville, for the next 10 to 15 years. All right, it's time for us to award our Week 2 Philip Rivers Memorial Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award. For those who may be new to the show, every week we award the Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award to the quarterback who exhibited the qualities of one Philip Rivers now passed along to Kirk Cousins and... This week that we have one of the rare instances where we have two winners. This usually happens every few years. Or sorry, every few weeks. Last year we had three times where this was the case. We have two winners that were true Kirk Cousins purgatory situations. And both of them ended very differently. And it's why I wanted to award both of them with the award this week. Is to, to show... Just how the fact that the Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award does not matter about the result, it matters more about the circumstance. And for those who don't know what Philip Rivers Memorial Kirk Cousins Purgatory is, it is being down six with no timeouts, one minute to play, and 80 yards to go. Philip Rivers spent 15 years of his career there. I uh, now am a five-year recovering Chargers fan because of Philip Rivers spending his entire career down six points with one minute to play, no timeouts, and the length of the field to go. And Kirk Cousins has taken the mantle from Philip Rivers. So two people get the award this week. One 
led an upset that has not happened in the NFL since 2000. And that is the New York Jets and Joe Flacco. As Joe Flacco says goodbye to his NFL career, he gets to have a Kirk Cousins purgatory moment in which the Jets recover an onside kick and win by scoring two touchdowns in 90 seconds. Down 13 with a minute and 55 to play. They ended up winning 31 to 30. So Joe Flacco gets to be there for his triumph in Kirk Cousins' purgatory because after they recovered the onside kick, they had to go 60 yards in 40 seconds with no timeouts down six. The other one is down seven, no timeouts, 40 seconds to play, 80 yards to go. And he most certainly did not complete the victory. It is Davis Mills of the Houston Texans living in Kirk Cousins' purgatory and finishing with negative one yard completion, incomplete pass, incomplete pass, incomplete pass. That's how Davis Mills spent his time in Kirk Cousins' purgatory. I know it's it's rude to shit on the Houston Texans. The, the Houston Texans know how bad they are. They, they had J.J. Watt and were up 24-0 to zero on the Kansas City Chiefs in the divisional round of the playoff in a season where the Titans had already made the AFC Championship. So they were going to host the AFC Championship against the Titans to go to the Super Bowl. And six months later, they had dismantled everything good about that franchise. And they will now spend five years being absolutely shit at football. They're now in year three of trying to turn this thing around, and they have nothing to show for it except Davis Mills and Rex Burkhead. And last week, you heard me talk about how in overtime against the Colts, it was third and one at the Colts 40. And I said out loud, they're not going to get it. And then they got negative two yards on the carry, and it was really sad because the Texans are so bad at football. And this week, the same thing happened. The Texans should have beaten the Broncos with any amount of... without. If they were not the worst team in the NFL, they would have beaten the Broncos. And the reason they didn't beat the Broncos is because they're the Texans, and they're the worst team in the NFL. And they were down 16-9, to and there were 40 seconds to go. Davis Mills got a punt at the 20-yard line, had to go 80 yards to get a touchdown. And I just looked at him. I'm like, it's not going to happen. And again, negative one yard completion, incomplete pass, incomplete pass, incomplete pass. And it just makes me sad because I know that there's no chance. There's just no chance in the world for the Texans who have only two touchdowns this season. And those two touchdowns were to a player who was not on their team 10 days ago, now 17 days ago. So Davis Mills, you get to walk out of this season with at least one Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award. Congratulations to you and congratulations to Joe Flacco for winning in Kirk Cousins Purgatory and uh, leading the most improbable magical comeback against the team that we're not going to talk about this year, which is the Cleveland Browns, except we're going to talk about it a little bit tomorrow with our friend DSD. Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast I appreciate each and every one of you on this NFL Monday for enjoying the wonderful, magical conversations with us. Leave a five-star review, leave a download, leave all that good stuff on the show. We appreciate all of your support. And as always, take it easy. We'll talk to you again.
tomorrow.